great joy to be with you again at uh, Common Ground, Rondebosch. It's a joy. I found friendship here, real warmth. I love the worship. I love your worship. So focused on Jesus, so full of truth, telling the gospel story, glorifying Jesus together. It's a great joy and privilege. It's my privilege to travel uh, quite a lot. And it's, uh, sadly, the worship isn't always so focused on Jesus. And uh, it's been such a joy uh, to be with you. Been through a strange season, haven't we, with COVID. Uh, this is my first uh, overseas trip for two years. Two years ago, I was with you here and uh, we travelled home uh, early March, I think, and got to Heathrow in London. And strangely, people were kind of standing back a little and we'd been hugging and embracing and handshaking and, and suddenly, what's going on here? And uh, the, the motorways seemed very thin and we thought, what's going on? And then within a couple of days, lockdown and life changed dramatically. And what looked like a full program, I mean, 2020 sounded so good, didn't it? 2020, it's gonna be a, a great year. And in fact, it was a closed down year. And I thought, what am I going to do? Because my program was very full and now it's very empty. And uh, I had the privilege of writing one or two books and people often say to me, are you writing again? I've said, no, no, I don't have time. And then I thought, hey, I do have time. And uh, I felt God prompted me to write a book called God's Treasured Possession. And it's the story of Moses and the people of God on their journey from being slaves into an inheritance, into an incredible relationship with God. And uh, Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 says all these things happened to them and were written down for our instruction. So they happen, these are, this is solid history, what happened to these people who came out of Egypt and began to be a nation on the move and into the land, it actually happened, but it's written down, Paul says, for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. We're moving on to the ends of the ages. Things are wearing down. As the Scripture says, the planet will wear out. God will make a new heavens and a new earth. It's the ends of the ages. We're moving. And they're written down for our instruction. You see, people are kind of throwing away the map and the compass, it seems to me. All kinds of strange concepts and how are we meant to live? Well, Paul says these old stories are instruction for us. They're guidance. So they are actually happened but they're written down for us. So we're going to look at this uh, encounter in Exodus chapter 15. Actually, Exodus chapter 15 is one of my favourite chapters in the whole Bible. It's a great song of worship. It could be like Psalm number one. It's the first time a whole people worshipped God, singing a great song. It was given to Moses. It's full of amazing victory and triumph. It's actually a, a revelation of God which leads to worship. And to be honest, that is the key to worship. Worship isn't just singing a few songs. It's getting to see God and feeling, oh, wow. Oh, wow. That's what worship is. And so you'll find he says things like this, who is like you? Who can compare with you? We've been seeing that sort of thing. Who can compare with God? It's full of wonder. Why? Well, they were a nation who had been in slavery for hundreds of years. They'd just been beaten. They just had to work hard. They had no rights for their freedom for year after year after year. Then had come the terrible word from Pharaoh that all the firstborn children should die. I mean, it was a terrible place to be. 
And God, in his infinite mercy, had raised up Moses and delivered them. But as they're making their journey out of Egypt, they encounter this barrier, the Red Sea. They can't possibly go any further. They're following God, but what do we do now? And as the slave community, about two million people, a slave community, they come up to this river and then, wow, behind us comes the Egyptian army. And the slaves have got no weapons, no horses, no chariots. Here comes an army with chariots, horses, swords, spears. Oh, wow, what's going to happen? We're going to die. And then God says, stand still, see the salvation of God. Then he says, put your staff out. The sea opens. I mean, the sea opens. And they walk through on dry ground. Imagine, you know, looking at the fish. Wow. (laughs) And they're, they're just walking out. Totally free. And the, and the Egyptians try to follow them and they are overwhelmed. And Moses sings this song. He says, they sank like lead. The horse and the chariots, they've gone. We're utterly free. We are now completely free. It's a wonderful song. It's worth looking at, worth dissecting verse by verse. A wonderful song of triumph, a real revelation of God. You remember when Moses first confronted Pharaoh? said, let my people go. Pharaoh says, Who is the Lord? Who is the Lord? This is God's answer. This is who the Lord is. He opens Red Seas. He takes a nation and makes them his own. He encounters them at Mount Sinai. He brings them into betrothment. He's bring, oh, it's wonderful. Who is he? The whole of the book of Exodus is answering Pharaoh's question. Who is the Lord? I'll show you who I am. I am that I am. Worship pouring out of that. It's a wonderful, wonderful chapter. It's when a nation gets born out of Egypt, I called my son. Born out of water, like all babies are born out of water, born through that Red Sea, born into newness of life, freedom, dignity, identity, the people of God. The phrase the people of God is introduced here. It's not seen before, the people of God, God's people. They're on the move. I mean, it's a magnificent chapter. It's full of wonder and glory and a revelation of majesty, power you've never seen before. But as you come to the end of the chapter, and this is what I found writing my book, boy, it's like, wow, and then it's like, oh, and it's wow, and then it's, oh, help. It's like, it's like Christianity. It's like, wow, this is wonderful. Then it's, oh, ouch, this hurts. I didn't expect this. And tucked in, to the end of chapter 15. I, I was kind of disappointed when I was writing my book. I thought, oh, well, this has to be in the same chapter. This chapter of joy and triumph in the same chapter. I thought, hmm, it's a bit like life. It's a bit like life. Chapter 15 of Exodus, verse 22. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea and they went into the wilderness. Oh, sure. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they couldn't drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore it was named Marah. So the people grumbled at Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord. And the Lord showed him a tree. And he threw it into the waters, and the waters became sweet. Holy Spirit, we we so enjoy worshipping you, Lord. Father, we worship and love and adore you. Holy Spirit, we ask you right now, please, make 
the gospel known to us, open the eyes of our heart, come and speak, Lord. Lead us into truth, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So they've had this triumph, this great victory, this song like wound. No one's ever sung a song like it before. This mighty revelation of God. And then you get these familiar words, actually. Then they were led into the wilderness. Sounds a bit familiar, doesn't it? You think of another one, Jesus, who was plunged into Jordan, came out, baptised, my son. Here comes my son striding into the world. And then what? He's led into the wilderness. The Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness. That was the first thing that happened to Jesus. This was the first thing that happened to the Son of God. Out of Egypt, I called my son, yeah, into the wilderness. And we need to understand this, that Christianity isn't all celebration. It's wonderful to gather like this. It's wonderful when a great band with great songs leads us to focus on how great God is. But we have to go out, we have to go on, we have to experience things which sometimes look like wilderness. And it says they spent three days. So it's about two million people into, yeah, desert conditions. And I guess day one, you think, wow, no water. It's pretty hot. It's hot down here. I've come from England, it's hot. <laughs> you like some water. A whole day, no water. Then day two, I can imagine a lot of the mums saying, hey, what about the children? There's no water. By day three, they're in serious trouble. How are we going to survive? How will we survive being the people of God on this journey? How are we going to make it? Oh, it's wonderful to know that God delivered us from Egypt and slavery, but how are we going to survive this wilderness? And it can be like that when you're first born again. You come to know God and, and then you, you think, this is wonderful. I remember when I was first converted, I had, no, I had no background. My parents were not Christians. We never had an open Bible in our home. I never heard my parents pray. I never went to church. I didn't know God. And then one night, I was led to Christ. And it was amazing. I remember thinking, wow, so that's why Jesus died. No one ever told me. I knew Jesus died, but I didn't know he died to take away all my guilt and give me a clean conscience like now. And that knowing that I would be forever in the presence of God, I'd never heard anything like that before. I was overwhelmed when I heard it. I thought, really, is that so? And, I, and do you know that miracle happened when I was told he's alive. I somehow knew it was true. It's a miracle when that happens to us. I knew it was true. And I remember I knelt down and I, I, I said, I'm sorry for my lifestyle coming to my life. And I felt it happen. I thought, wow, it's real. I was very excited. And then you've got to start living this life. And it's not always straightforward. It's not always easy. I thought my parents would be excited. They said, what are you doing? What are you doing? You just take religion seriously. Oh, okay. Then you go to work and uh, uh, in the office, you know, wow, well, can I tell you about this? Uh, and instead of them saying, uh, wow, thank you, they say, don't be stupid. And then you find in the coffee break, you know, there's a group over there and they're looking your way, it's the Holy Joe over there. You think, I didn't, I didn't buy into that. I didn't want to lose my friends at work. I didn't want them backing off me. And 
Well, I didn't expect that. That, that, was, that was unexpected. And friends backing off. I didn't expect that. Difficulty, kind of isolation, a bit strange. And then it was lovely going to church. Oh, hello, it's so nice to meet you. Welcome, lovely warm welcome. And then the second week, you know, you're going on, you're going on. Then there's a list and uh, your name's not, they didn't think of you. Your name's not on the list. You weren't included. Oh, I thought they'd be more sensitive than that. And then someone was actually rude to you. You think, but they're supposed to be a Christian. I never thought that would happen. I didn't think this would happen. They let me down. And then, in your own heart, you're thinking, I'm still thirsty for the other stuff. The stuff I used to live on. Can I, can I live without that? It comes as a challenge. How do you, how do you live this life? How, how do you... How do you live this without longing for the stuff you used to have? And battles start, right? I thought, boy, this is really, this is really hard. I, I never expected this. I never, I never thought I'd be still thirsty for the old stuff. I remember for myself, when I, I, I was raised in a town called Brighton, which is a really kind of young people's town, especially at the weekends. There's two universities in town. There's thousands of young people. And I loved it. I loved Weekends. I hated my job, it's so boring. And you, you endured the job, and then at weekends, wow, did you live it up. And you lived for the weekends. I mean, it was so exciting. And uh, I just loved that. And now, hey, I've got to leave that behind. And, and I remember my, my first weekend, and, I, and I'm not going to go with my friends. Ouch, that's painful. And I remember I used to drive a little motor scooter, uh, they were popular in those days. And uh, I drove this little scooter around Brighton all the time, buzzing around, people on the back. It was lovely fun. And that first Saturday when I thought I'm going to live for God now, and I, I got my scooter out because it's Saturday night and I drove down to Brighton and I felt the tug. I saw the young people going into their bars and well, oh, no, no, back. And, and I drove back to the quiet part of town, all the lights I'm leaving behind. Got to my home, put the thing away went in, my parents sitting in the other room and me sitting in another room. I thought, wow, this is Saturday night. I'm sitting at home. This happened to me. These things happened. <laughs> it happened to me. I'm sitting at home on a Saturday night. And the young people at church used to say, Christianity is life with a capital L. <laughs> and I thought, Christianity is hell with a capital H. <laughs> I'm sitting at home on my own on Saturday night. I hate this. And I really thought, I'm dying of thirst. I can identify with this. I thought I'm going to die. I don't, I don't know. How, I mean, there's years ahead of me now. I mean, how, how do you live? It was agony. I thought, Lord, I, what do I do? And for the first time in my life, I actually, I picked up my Bible and started to read. I mean, what do you do? I didn't know anybody at church. I used to go to it, but it was a big church and I didn't know anybody. And I, and I, I just started reading the book of Acts. I'd never done that before. And to my amazement, a kind of bubble of hope came up in my soul. I read the book of Acts. I thought, wow, this is pretty exciting. I'd never seen that before. The things that happened the miracles, the prison doors opening, and more and more people believing. And, and I went to bed with a kind of, well, maybe, 
Maybe I can survive. Maybe, maybe, there's, maybe there's something I can drink. Maybe I can find something more. See, I had, I'd been converted, but how do you live on this stuff? So I went through that. I know what it's like to think, wow, this is tough. And to find, yeah, I still have long, I still get angry. I thought I was changed. I still get depressed. I'm supposed to be, I'm supposed to be a new creature. It doesn't look like a new creature. You go through these kind of battles. And with that comes real fear. Will I be able to keep up Christianity? Have I got what it takes? I'm not really made that way. I, I like the other stuff. Can I really keep this up? And it's like a, a, real, a real fear. And these relationships that were going, gone. I thought, can I, can I cope with this? That's what it was like for these people in the desert. Yeah, they weren't slaves anymore. But at least, at least when you're a slave, you're given something to eat and drink. Now, now. And then there comes, we read in the story, after three days, they come to Mara. And there's water. There's water at Mara. Ah, ah, there's water. And I guess the message went back. Two million people. I don't know how wide the crowd was. I don't know how many kilometres two million people were. There's water. I bet it went buzzing back. There's water, there's water. The excitement would have rippled back through the people. There's water, there's water. And then they get to it and you can't drink it. It's bitter. It's impossible to drink this stuff. Now you're really hitting problems. The huge challenge. The huge challenge of thinking, wow, I had hopes. You know, when you get your hopes raised and then dashed, it's worse than just a plateau. You think, no, we're through. That can happen in all kinds of ways. You could think, hey, I interviewed well. This is just the job for me. I think they liked me. I think I did well. I could just see myself in that. You're just thinking about the car you're going to have. You're just wondering about how it's all going to go. I think, I think they liked me. I did well. And then you get the letter. No, thank you. What? I, I kind of was already dreaming about what it would be. Wow, no, no. I mean, surely. I mean, they liked me. I mean, I thought I was through. Oh, wow. That's hard. When you're going to get your first house or a home to live in, and you think, oh, that's the one, that's the one. I've been through this. That's the house. We've really, it's really lined up. We've got it focused. And you're, for me, my wife's thinking, oh, the garden, that's going to be nice. And I just highlight the kitchen. And then, no, thank you. It's gone. I'm gone? But your hopes, you were, you were almost there. We found water. You can't drink it. We found a house. You can't have it. Or you think you found Mr. Wright. I mean, he's really hunky. You think, wow, this is the guy. He's just the man. And he's, we've been on a few deals. Oh, it's the other way around. It may be she, you know, the girl of my dreams. We found her. It's wonderful. We had a few times. Oh, it's such fun. Oh, I can imagine lifting my life with her. You know, oh, oh. And then you get the Dear John letter. Thank you. No, thank you. <laughs> I don't know if I want to live anymore. If I can't live with you. So, so when, when hopes are raised, and we're having a chuckle together, but it's really painful. It's really painful. You think, oh God, where were you? Why is it like this? It's hard because, well, they're following the cloud. 
It's not like they wandered off. Okay, we're away. That's where Hollywood doesn't understand the story of Moses at all. Hollywood just thinks it's about slaves being set free. It's not set free. It's not, we're out. Run for it. There's a world. No, no, no. There's an inheritance. There's a purpose. There's a relationship. There's lots more. They're following the cloud. You said, well, I got here by following Jesus and he led me into this. That becomes a huge dilemma. Jesus led me into this. I thought I was following God and I've hit this. So I want to say that there's three alternatives that come to mind. One is, let's go back. And if you live through the book of Exodus, like I have writing this book, you just kind of live in there. You keep on seeing this recurring thing, let's go back. It comes again and again through the story. Let's go back. And they get this distorted memory of how good it used to be to be a slave. We used to eat garlic and onions. We used to, it was wonderful. It wasn't, it was terrible. But they got this distorted memory. Let's go back, let's go back. The book of Hebrews is written to people who want to go back. Let's give up on this thing. It's a real challenge. Like, this is hard. Let's go back. The book of Hebrews, which actually I've been working through, it's a wonderful, wonderful book. And it's written to people who used to be Jewish and have found Jesus, the Messiah, the promised Messiah for the Old Testament. They found him. But the problem is, when they were Jews, that was an accepted religion in the, Jewish, in the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire allowed Jews to have their synagogues. It's an accepted religion. It's been around for a long time. It has credibility, has history. But when you become a Christian, oh wow, there's no defence there. Now you're in trouble. It says you, you, you received the spoiling of your goods. Wow, I didn't buy him for this. It was okay. As our, we had the living God, we had the Hebrew, we had our Bibles, we had our Old Testament I don't know, maybe I should go back. That's what the book of Hebrews is all about. Don't go back. We've got a better priesthood. We've got better promises. We've got a better covenant. That's what the book of Hebrews keeps telling you. It's better, it's better. Go forward. And the temptation was to go back, go back. See, that can be the temptation. We live in days when, you know, when I was converted, in fact, when I was told you could become a Christian, my first answer was, aren't we all Christians? because we're going back a long time. I go back a long time. And you say, well, aren't we all Christians? Then I got told the real story. But you don't say that anymore in England. You don't take it for granted people are Christian anymore. You know, Christendom, the kind of Christian values behind society, they've gone, they've gone. And there was a time, well, okay, Christians, they're kind of up for it, but okay, we accept these values, these moral standards. And then there came a time when, well, we're a bit indifferent to those standards. Now there's another time where, hey, we don't even agree with those standards. Now the Christians are the bad people. Now the Christians are the people attacked. What are you talking about, about gender and issues like that? Hey, wow, it's a, it's a bit costly to be a Christian now. Now you're the odd ones out. Now you're the, the aliens are coming and it's us. We're out of step. It's not like, yes, society's generally behind you. No, no, society's not behind you. Society's against you. Maybe it's safer to go back. Maybe it's safer to change a few doctrines. Maybe what we think about gender, mm, it's a bit scary out there. Let's go back. Temptation, go back. That's the first temptation. The second temptation is this. I want to call it cynicism. Where people say, no, I'm a Christian, but well, let's face it, 
is hard. And, and you know, you would get saved, and they could say, well, I was saved, I was born again and whatever. And I know, you know, I believe I'm going to heaven, but it's hard. And really what's happened is they've kind of settled for a kind of stoicism. Kind of, well, you just go on. And, and you know, God leads, but boy, it leads you into some stuff. And, and in your heart, there's not a fresh faith. The kind of, well, doing the stuff, turning up at the meetings, singing the songs. But life's hard. And you've got to make, make your way through it, really. A kind of cynicism, and it's possible to be that. There's lots of people in churches who are living as kind of like British stiff upper lip. Let's go for it. Just keep going. Keep pressing on. Keep pressing on. It's like, it's like the British, like the English cricket team at Newlands. Someone will keep going on anyway. <laughs> we just press on. You know, it's tough, but keep going, keep going. Uh, as a kind of unbelief, it's like you begin to get a bit worldly wise and that's how you cope. And then there's a third possible way and it's just straight bitterness. The waters of Mara are the waters of bitterness. That's what the word means. The water is bitter, you can't drink it. And that's the other danger. We have to watch out lest bitterness grows. And the Bible says, beware of the root of bitterness that can spoil many. A bitterness, kind of, ugh. And you see, it's hard to complain against God, isn't it? It's hard to say, God, you're a rotter. I mean, not many dare say that, especially if you're a Christian. But it's easier to say, leaders, you're hopeless. They complained against Moses. You let us out here. You can't say to God, no, no, they're God's people. They're God's treasure. It's special treasure. But yeah, well, we won't complain against God, but we get bitter against leadership. That can happen. That's what happened in the story. All these things are written down for our instruction. You'll find this happens again and again during the life of Moses. Hostility, difficulty, pressure. And often the pressure comes on the leadership. It's hard to lead anything. It's very hard to lead a spiritual community, the people of God. They turn on him out of bitterness. It's bitter. They don't like life. And they blame him. That's what happens in the story. They're still following the cloud. It's like, you're following God but it's not good and it's not fun and it's not, there's nothing to drink and it's your fault. That's the story. And then it says, Moses cried to the Lord. Oh God, help. And as Moses cries to the Lord, you get this beautiful verse which I read to you. The Lord showed him a tree. Did you notice that? It doesn't say Moses saw a tree. It says the Lord showed him a tree. It's got that sense of revelation. The sense of, I saw something I'd not seen before. That's what revelation is. That's how you get saved. You suddenly see something you've not seen before. That's what revelation means. The whole Christian life is about, wow, I'd never seen that before. It's revelation. And he saw a tree. Now it's strange, it says, he took the tree and threw it into the water and the water became sweet. Now that's very reminiscent. If you remember your Bibles, you remember the stories of Elisha, where Elisha does all kinds of strange miracles. There's a time there where the water can't be drunk and he, he throws stuff into it. 
and the water's okay. It's like, it does all sorts of strange miracles. But here, this one, this is a particular one. It showed him a tree. Now, down through the ages, Christian commentators have brought attention to the fact the tree represents the cross. Matthew Henry, one of the earliest Bible commentators, says that. And it says in Acts 5 and verse 30, Jesus, whom you killed and hanged on a tree. Acts 10, 39, they slew him and hung him on a tree. Galatians 3, 13, having become a curse for us, for it's written, cursed is everyone who hangs upon a tree. And actually that's quoting in Galatians, it's quoting from Deuteronomy 21, because back in Deuteronomy, God had written this into their culture, that if someone had done a terrible evil, a terrible sin, not only must you punish them, but you hang them on a tree. It's like we've done what we can. It's like with Jesus, we've beaten him, we've whipped him, we've accused him, we've spat on him, we've torn his clothes off, we've put a crown on his head, we've done what we can, hang him up, let God curse him. And he's abandoned and the sky goes black and there's no voice from heaven. He became a curse for us. He became a curse for us. And the Bible says this, we preach Christ crucified. It's a crazy message to go out. Paul and the early apostles went out from city to city, from nation to nation, preaching about someone who hung on a cross. It's kind of lunatic. Why would you preach about that? Well, it says in Corinthians, the word of the cross is foolishness. It's foolishness to those who are perishing. The Bible understands that. You're speaking to people about Jesus, they say, that's nonsense. The Bible says they'd say that. It's foolishness to those who are perishing. Jews ask for signs. Greeks ask for wisdom. We preach Christ crucified. To Jews, a stumbling block. You could say that again. A stumbling block. He's cursed. He's disowned. He's been shown to be a crook. Where, if, if you're the son of God, come down. It doesn't come down. It's like the sons of Baal, the prophets of Baal, they cut themselves all day. There's no answer. Nothing from heaven. Nothing from heaven for Jesus. Oh my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This isn't happening at the temple. This isn't religious. It's happening at the trash heap outside. He's naked and empty and he's finished. It's all over. And we preach him. And the Jews say, come on, you say Messiah? What are you talking about, Messiah? Messiah is a king. Messiah's anointed, he's triumphant. The Old Testament's promised us a king, a messianic king. Like David, he's the son of David. David came against Goliath, even as a boy, and took him out. That's the Messiah, takes out giants, turns an army of losers into an army of winners on his own. That's an anointed leader and then raises up an army. It's just like the army of God. That's a leader. Got rid of the Philistines. We are looking for a Messiah who get rid of these Romans. That was their expectation. When Jesus came on the scene, it says crowds began to gather to him. He couldn't enter places because of the crowds. So many people around, people coming through the roof. I mean, they just want him. They want to be around him. 
Crowds grow and grow and grow until at one point he climbs up a mountain and 5,000 men follow him. And then it says in the Bible, and women and children. 5,000 men and women and children. Don Carson, the famous theologian, says probably 20,000 people. Jesus is on a mountain, 20,000 people follow him. And it says he taught them all and healed them. And then they slept up there. And then the next day, he taught them some more and healed them. And then the next day, the third day, it says he taught them and he healed them all. He healed them all. 20,000 people, not a sick person there. And then the disciples say, Jesus, these people have been with us for three days. You better send them away. They're getting hungry. Jesus, you feed them. And supernaturally, with the blessing of Jesus on the bread, 5,000, 20,000 are fed. Oh, wow. Deuteronomy 18, 18. Another one like me, Moses said. Another one like David, another one like Moses, a great shepherd king's coming who feeds people. <laughs> Manna from heaven. Bread? More than we can eat. And it says they tried to take him and make him king. Try to make him king. This is a Messiah we want. No man ever spoke like this man. Is he the one? Could he be the one? And the disciples say, yeah, he's the one and I want to sit at his right. I want to sit at his left. Even they sent their mum along. Can he sit? Can my boys sit on your right and left? He's the king. Except he starts saying things like this. I came not to be served, but to serve and give my life a ransom for many. What are you talking about? Messiahs don't give their life, they take lives. Messiahs don't hang on crosses. It's a stumbling block to the Jews. It's a stumbling block. And to the Greeks, foolishness. Utter foolishness. Compare it with Aristotle, Plato. Utter foolishness. But it says this, but to those who believe, it's the power of God and the wisdom of God. Those who see, those who understand that we had sinned. We sang in our opening song, we turned away from God. He gave us a wonderful creation. We messed it up. We chose to believe in ourselves, don't believe in God. We fell short of his glory. And to save us, Jesus came down lower than any of us have ever gone. This was God's plan of salvation, to take away the guilt, not just to smash Romans, not just get rid of the problem. Our problem was in ourselves. Our problem was our own unbelief and choosing to do it our way. God had to deal with that. And the way he chose to deal was to send his perfect, spotless, holy son so that he could take our curse. He could take the punishment. He could step in our place. God so loved the world, he gave his only son. He perished, he suffered, he died, he was forsaken. God acted in a breathtaking way. He took our guilt on himself in his son. That's the message. And it's foolishness to those, but to those who believe, oh, it's the power of God, my guilt has gone. It's the power of God, I've got eternal life. And you step from darkness into light. And God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might be the righteousness of God in him. 
the breathtaking gospel that's changed everything for us. He showed him a tree. He showed him it. You need to see it. Have you seen it yet? Have you understood it yet? When I was told the gospel, I thought, I was asked, you know, do you know about Jesus? Yeah, and then he died. What was that all about? I was asked, do you believe he rose from the dead? And I said, well, he's supposed to have been raised on the third day, wasn't he? I said, casually. And then I was told, that means he's alive. He's alive. And I, and I just, something happened in my soul. Jesus is alive? And then I was told why he died, what happened. God put all my guilt on him. I never understood that before. Have you understood that? He took your guilt. He was forsaken, this pure, holy Son of God. That's what he came to do. I came not to be served, but to serve and to give my life a ransom. So you go free. You go free. You see, salvation is a wonderful thing. Salvation is past and future, but it's also present. Because we all can't deal with this bitterness problem. See, I can say, no, I I know I was saved. I I know the day it went, I know the year it was. I was saved. It's like the Salvation Army girl who came up to the bishop and said to the bishop, are you saved? And he knew his Bible. He said, do you mean, was I saved? Do you mean, am I going to be saved? Do you mean, am I being saved? Because all those things are in the Bible. See, I know I was saved. I know, I know it happened. I passed from death to life. I believe I'm going to be saved. I know already when I meet with God, I'm going to be accepted because of Jesus. Not because of me, but because of Jesus. But what about being saved in life? What about when there's no water to drink? What about coping with disappointment and setback? Is there any message for that? See, we need to know our, work out your salvation with fear and trembling for God is at work. And there's a salvation for us to work out on a daily basis. And if you don't know that and don't experience that, you just become a stoic. You just put up with stuff. Hope it'll finish soon. Now there's a miracle. You can throw the tree into the bitterness. I know for myself, I know when I, I really felt God called my life, wanted my life. I, I, was, I was Christian, but I, I backslid very quickly uh, because my life was so rooted in that old world. And all my friends were in that old world. And I, I liked getting drunk. And I liked parties. And I liked all kinds of horrible stuff. And I go to church on Sunday morning. Now I'm a Christian, but I like that other stuff so much. And one Sunday I'm in church and the guy preached. And he preached from a verse in Galatians. It said this, you did run well. Who has hindered you that you no longer obey the truth? And it it absolutely, I felt like I'm, I'm in a big church, but I felt like I'm the only person sitting there. And it's like God's in my face. You did run well. I was so excited when I got converted. I was saved at home and then I was invited to go to John Stott's church and I first heard the gospel preached by John Stott. I mean, you get saved when it's John Stott. (laughs) I went forward, shook the man's hand. I knew I started, well, you did run well. Who's hindered you don't obey? And and I I felt God said to me, I want you, I want your life. 
I want it now and I won't speak to you about this again. And that really scared me. Because I often found God speaking to me. I often felt convinced. I knew I was a Christian, I just knew I was a bad Christian. I was often being told off, as it were. It's a, you, know, you know you belong when you're being told off all the time. I knew I was a bad Christian. And then suddenly this, I won't speak to you about it again. That scared the life out of me. I thought, what do you mean you're just going to let me drift then? That frightened me. You're just going to let me drift into this world. And I know there's nothing there really. I thought, wow, that's it then. I've got, I've got to change my life. And I, 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 got, I went home that night and I knelt before God and said, Lord, you have my life. You have it all. I give it to you. And that's, that first Saturday was the one I talked about earlier. And I thought, oh, what do I do? And I went home. And, you know, it's hard. But you have my life now. You, whatever, it's yours. And I'm beginning to make my way and I'm beginning to read some books that are really helping me out. I'm beginning to put it together and I'm beginning to make sense of it. And it comes around to the summer and it's our first vacation time. Well, vacation times were outrageous. They were the times I got up to all sorts of mischief. So now we've got to do something different. What should we do? What should we do? Let's go to the Keswick Convention. Well, the Keswick Convention is probably the oldest Bible convention in the UK, about 150 years it's been going. People go to Keswick, which is in the Lake District, which is about as far north as you can go in England before you get to Scotland. And they camp and they hear great preachers. I thought, let's go. I've never done anything like it before. Go to a Christian conference, wow. Let's do it. I said it to my friend, do you want to come? Yeah, let's go. And now I, I, I drive a little motor scooter. I mean, the wheels are about this big and they just buzz around town. Let's go to Keswick. Okay, let's go to Keswick. Let's go. I mean, I don't know how many hundreds of miles it is. And I've never been out of town before. So here we go on the bike. So I get on the bike. We go, we go up through London. It's before the motorways were built. That's how old I am. And you're going, I think, wow. I'm driving up, up through London, you know, up Park Avenue, down Hyde Park Corner, run through. Woo, I'm this in London. Wow. Off we go, up onto the A5. And into what's called the Peak District in England. The Peak District's not like your South African peaks. It's not exactly a Drakensberg, but it's it's kind of fairly for England. It's kind of mountainous. It's Peak District, and we're going over it. You know, the Hallelujah is great. We're off to how, how holy can you get? I mean, my holiday. I'm going to a Christian convention. Oh man, alive! I'm doing well. I'm so excited with myself. I think, what a boy, I'm really getting going. I'm going, woof, well done. And I'm driving. as I'm driving over this desolate area, I see these black clouds coming. And now this, I never ever wore a helmet. You didn't have to in those days. You have to these days, by law, you wear a helmet. I never wore gloves. I mean, I'm a scooter rider. Short sleeve shirt, on we go, it's off. And when I'm driving to the peak district, where there's, nothing, there's nobody, it's absolutely desolate. There's nowhere to hide. It's just the road goes on and on and on and the skies grow black. And what is that? What is happening? And suddenly rain. And then the rain turns to hail. And I'm going through this stuff. And the hail, it's like every hail's going in my eyes. It's like, ow, 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 ow. And my hands, ah. Ah, stab, ooh, like, ah, oh, ah. And I'm like, what else God? God, this is my holy convention. 
This is my vacation. What's going on here? This isn't what I expected. Couldn't you do better than this? And as we're going along, this honestly happened to me. I thought, what about Jesus' hands? What about his hands? What about his brow when they smashed that crown of thorns into it? And it just came and what about, what about it? And beloved, I threw the cross into the bitterness. I threw the tree into the bitterness and I got healed. And I shouted to my friend on the back, think about Jesus, think about Jesus. You have to shout the noise, the old motor on the car, the wind and the rain. What about Jesus? Yeah, what? And we start singing. The two of us, we're driving over the peak drizzle. Jesus, we love you. Oh, oh, we love you. And it became unbelievable joy. See, beloved, that's what you have to do. You, have to, you must throw the tree into the bitterness. The love of Christ, the cross of Jesus. That's what the book of Hebrews is saying. It says, look, run the course that's set before you. Run the race that's set before you. Hebrews 11 gives you all these great heroes. They're all bearing witness. It says we're surrounded by witnesses. Now in the Bible, a witness is a voice that speaks. It's not the eyes that observe. They're not witnessing so much us. They are bearing witness to us. For Abraham shouting out, he's faithful. He does it. What he said, he'll do. Sarah saying, I found faith. It worked for me. Hero after hero, Hebrews chapter 11 is saying, trust him, trust him. Hebrews 11 is full of these old characters who did amazing things and believed God. And then it says, now, you run the race set before you. The track was set before you. It's not, oh, your track looks better. No, no, it's not that. This is your track. That's her track. That's his track. This is your track. Run the race that's set before you, looking unto Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Get your eyes focused. Who endured the cross? He won through. He's our pioneer. Beloved, we're called to a life that's going to be tough. Who knows how tough it's going to be in the days ahead when the culture is getting more and more anti-Christian, not just indifferent to Christian, anti-Christian. It may be getting tougher. Keeping your eyes on Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. What's the joy set before him? It's you and me, beloved. His bride, his eternal bride. He endured the cross. We run this race looking to Jesus. We throw the tree into the, into the bitterness and it becomes sweet. It's not just endure, it's enjoy. You find fellowship with this incredible, wonderful person who's come into our lives to share our sorrows. No one knew sorrow like he knew. No one knew devastation, loneliness. You think, I'm so lonely. No one was lonelier than Jesus. Is so bitter. No one endured bitterness like Jesus. Why? For you and me. He's come to us where we are. No one could say to him, you don't know what it's like. He knows what it's like. 
And that changes everything. I had the privilege of going to China some years ago and I met a man called Alan Ewan. It's going back, I don't know, 20 or 30 years now. And we were smuggling Bibles into China. And we went to our little hotel room and this dear gentleman came to see us, Alan Ewan. And I remember, because we were in a little room and, and we didn't have any chairs, I'm sitting on the end of the bed. He sat on the floor, leaning against the wall. I can still see his radiant face. He had been taken when he was age 44 from his wife and six children. And I could identify five children. And he was in prison for 21 years. 21 years without his wife, without seeing his children grow up. And when he was 65, they thought, he's finished now, chuck him out. And during those 21 years, his wife was proposed marriage to by a number of godly men who said, let me care for you and your six kids. And she said, no, he may be still alive. He may be still alive. So she went on her own. And when he was 65, he's released. And I met him, he's like in his early 80s. He's bright, taking away our Bibles with him. So excited. They've been back together for years now. And I said to him, it must have been so costly. And I, I, mean, I will never forget his radiant face. He just said to me, nothing compares with the cross. Not a trace of bitterness. Not a trace. It's not like, yeah, it's been hard for me. I didn't hear that. I just heard nothing compares with the cross. Absolutely triumphant. Beloved, that is Christianity. It's finding Jesus, understanding his cross, bringing it into your pain so that the bitterness becomes sweet. Because you meet with Jesus. That's what happened in the story. Throw the tree into the water. Consider him who endured such hostility by sinners against himself, lest you grow weary and faint in your mind. The cross by which the world has been crucified to me, an eye to the world, because Jesus now fills our vision. He's the one who's done it all for us. Jesus said this to his disciples one day, what I do now, you know not. Afterwards, you'll understand. That may be a word for someone here this morning. You're thinking, boy, this is hard. I'm finding it hard. And Jesus said these words, what I do now, you know not. Afterwards, you will understand. I've seen so many things down through the years. Afterwards, they, oh, I see. It was hard. You hang in, you believe God, you, you, you throw the cross into it, you keep worshipping. What I do now, this is a word for someone here tonight, what I'm doing now, you don't know. Afterwards, you will understand. That's the word of Jesus. That's for you tonight. Take it, believe him, enjoy his love, be assured of his compassion. Trust him as he takes you through. Yeah, he led them into the wilderness. The cloud led them there. It was one of their first lesson on this journey, which was going to be full of lessons as we go through this whole story, going through the Exodus, full of, full of lessons. But God is utterly faithful and brings them to his destiny. We sang it. 
You have my destiny. You've got my life in your hands. That's a, that's a statement of faith. It's a statement of faith. I was in church once, and we were singing a song we used to sing, you're all I need, you're all I, all I needed. You're all I need. And I, I just slipped to the front and said, beloved, are we singing this with faith or are we just singing a song? You're all I need, you're all I ever wanted. It takes faith to sing that. It takes faith to sing that. Because sometimes you think, I can't, can I live without that? Can I live without him, without her, without that job, without that home? I don't know if I... No, you're all I want. You're all I ever needed. And to find it's true. And it's going to be forever. Walking with Jesus through the tough. It's been tough. This COVID has been so tough. We've seen people die. We've seen jobs lost. Hardship. Let's believe God, eh? Let's throw the tree into the bitterness and trust Jesus. Shall we stand to pray, please? Can the band come up, please? I believe God has been speaking to us tonight, maybe to you in particular. There was that day when my life was changed. Just one message changed everything for me. It really changed my life completely. You know, the Word of God can do that for you. If, you. if you know God's spoken to you tonight and you say, I'd be so grateful if someone would pray over me. If someone would just spend a little time with me and pray for me. I want to invite you tonight. If you know God's spoken to you, if you know... I just know God spoke to me tonight. Maybe it's just to refresh your commitment to God. You know you've known Him, but wow, I think I, I slipped from a trust. I, want to, I really just want to come back with wholehearted trust. Or maybe it's the very first time you've never understood before. You'd love someone to pray for you. I'd like to invite you right now, if you know God's spoken to you, would you... Just slip out of your chair and just come and stand here at the front and there'll be people who'd love to pray for you. Would you do that right now, please? That's right, just come through. Just come, if you know God spoke to you. That's just you're saying, Lord, yeah, I know you spoke to me. I'm not going to miss what you're saying. I don't, want it to, I don't want it to slip away. I don't want to miss this now. Those who pray for people would just kind of find one another, pray for people. If you know God spoke, just come and join us as we pray. I'm just going to pray and close this meeting. At least, beg your pardon, we're going to sing. I forgot I'd already said that. Let's sing as people may still be coming. Let's sing our song, please.